I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the movie, movie lovers. lovers. Welcome to the official podcast of Yay. the Gibson Review. Each episode, we'll talk about our weekend review, move on to the main event, which is either a main review or a topic of discussion. Ooh, and this week, our topic of discussion is summer movie preview. So we'll be going through the upcoming uh, summer season, talking about movies we're looking forward to most this summer. And in every episode, we finish our episode with Film Faves, which is our list of 12 favorite movies uh, around a particular topic. Typically, we are marching through time, listing our top favorite movies of each year. And this episode... 2013. 2013. All right. So let's get started with our weekend review. Shanna, would you like to share what your weekend review was? Yes, I would. I watched Big Little Lies, which stars Nicole Kidman, Shailene Woodley. Uh, who else is in there? Reese Nicole Kidman. Spoon. Didn't I just say Nicole Kidman? Did you? Yes, I'm pretty sure I did. I'm being silly. I think I did. <laughs> Laura Dern. So what I like about this combination of actresses is you have Laura Dern from the a previous HBO show. Uh, this is an HBO show, just in case you were wondering. Hmm. Enlightenment. Oh, Enlightenment. Laura Dern, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. then there's another actress from Enlightenment in the show. I can't remember her name, but she appears hmm. in Big Little Lies. I was like, oh. And then you have Laura Dern and Reese Witherspoon from Wild. So it's like, ah, it's a reunion. So I'm like totally geeking out. Making connections. Yeah. And so I was home for a day after many days of work. I finally had a break and I got to binge watch this show, which was just so superb. The casting is great. The acting is great. Even Lenny Kravitz's daughter is in this. Is that Zoe? Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. Zoe Kravitz. Mm-hmm. So that was really fantastic to get to see her. I thought she was amazing. And it was such a good depiction of mothers and their children. And how mothering looks nowadays. How it can look. Okay. And I thought that that was very interesting Um, one mom was like, oh yes, we have a French nanny. It's good for the ear, you know? And I thought that that was really funny and I can totally relate to that with my all pairing experience. So there is also Alex Skarsgård. So I can perv over him for a bit. That's always fun. (laughs) And this show has about six or seven episodes. So it's fairly short. Okay. And it starts off with... An investigation of a possible homicide they're not really sure what it is so they're investigating and it goes back and forth in time so not okay. just that section of it though so you'll see an interview happening and then the story is unfolding gotcha. and then it'll jump to interview yeah blah 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 yeah so that is a really fun show and I highly recommend it excellent uh, yeah, I saw the trailers for that and the cast alone. I really like Reese Witherspoon in several of the films that she's done, so I was sold on it. I, I'm really anxious to to check it out myself. Uh, is there anything else you saw in your weekend review? I did watch the casting of Jean Benet. That's available for streaming on 
Netflix. Right, right. Um, this was kind of disappointing because I went into it thinking, oh, well, okay, casting. Maybe they'll show a little bit of the behind-the-scenes footage and then they're going to make a movie of Jean Benet. Hmm. And I have always been interested in crime stories and this was one of the first crime stories that I became interested in at about age 11. What this film really is, is a good depiction of how people from different walks of life and backgrounds form their opinions. And it's also a good experiment of how that's going to possibly alter your own opinion as a viewer. Do you mean like it kind of experiment is, is an examination of how the baggage that we carry can color our perspective of certain incidences or situations? Yeah, so one okay. woman trying to be cast as the mother of Jean Benet. She was a former beauty queen herself. So she had that experience. Then there was another woman who, whose child died. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what that was. But she could relate to the loss. Mm-hmm. And then there was another mother who was just a completely skeptical woman. And then there was another one who grew up a couple blocks away from the Jean Benet incident. The family? Yes. So... You have all these different things. And one person who was auditioning to be the officer role is an S&M trainer. Mm-hmm. So very different walks of life. And you get to see all of this at once okay. in this movie. So again, to clarify, this isn't a, a random hodgepodge of people that the director just decided to interview. It was a fake casting call that she organized and these are all actors who came to the casting call expecting to be auditioning for a job essentially and ended up being surprised by what this actually is i don't know if they were actually aware of what was actually going on i mean they were coming in auditioning Mm -hmm. and giving their opinions yeah so. Well, I, I listened to an interview with the uh, director on either NPR's Fresh Air or KCRW's The Business. I can't remember which one. And she talked about the intention of the story, which is very much what you described. It not really being about Jean Bernay and the case, but that being a vehicle to be able to explore this other sociological aspect of, of um, perspective and such. And she did, uh, she did actually put out a, a, a casting call for a Jean Benet movie. Uh. And so everybody did come thinking that they were going to be auditioning for a job. And instead, what they learned when they got there is that this is actually what the, the director is aiming for. And some actors eventually understood. Some couldn't understand at all and uh, didn't want to be a part of it and so they did they did they did have an understanding of what they were what they were actually there to do oh okay i was not aware but did it work for you not really i mean (laughs) i really did want to see a jean benet movie yeah and that is not what it was it was something else Mm. and you know i think that you have to be very careful 
with what intention you're making when you watch a film. And because I had a specific intention for something specific I thought I was going to watch, I was completely thrown off. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go into it knowing, hey, it's actually this observation, this sociological experiment, as you describe it, then you'll be fine. Right. Um, but if you were hoping to like get more insight on the actual Jean Benet case, nothing new is going to be revealed to you other than, hey... Here's how humans interact with something like this. Right. Yeah, that's one of the things the director said is she doesn't offer any answers because she, through the project, she actually has even less answers than she than she had before. Well, and I guess it's a good depiction of what that case actually became. This particular officer that came into the film actually explained, hey, this is a case we study in order to know what not to do when something like this happens. Mm. And that was the only new thing that I learned. Gotcha. And that was that was good. And so during the film, like you start thinking, hey, maybe this is not how we should react to things in life. Maybe we should only react to hardcore evidence. But then what if evidence is muddied? Yeah, so yeah. you end up with a more muddied version or opinion of the Jean Benet case than what you originally had yeah. before watching it. Very cool. So that's Casting Jean Benet on Netflix, and it sounds like you're very lukewarm on it. I mean, I recommend people check it out, because mm. Netflix does a really good job with their productions. Okay, but it I'm sounds like being... a very cautious recommendation. I just know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Okay, anything else? No, what about you? Well, I have one movie in particular that uh, I've seen recently that I wanted to talk about and that's uh, Camp X-Ray which uh, is a 2014 film that's available on Netflix to stream and it stars uh, Kristen Stewart as a uh, military guard at Guantanamo Bay the the prison that that's notorious for detaining quote-unquote detaining uh people uh who are suspected terrorists both from our shores and from iraq now this came out around the time the final twilight movie was coming out that same year so krista stewart was definitely getting out of that phase of her career and twilight didn't exactly demonstrate any degree of talent that someone might have but i know that if you watched a a movie called adventureland in 2009 which came out a year after the first twilight movie you know if you've seen that you've seen that there's there's a little bit of something uh there with kristen stewart and camp x-ray only for is further evidence of that for the past three years, actually, Kristen Stewart's been doing some exceptional work, and I think Camp X-Ray was the first of this. So it's a very interesting and very surprisingly insightful film that really kind of examines the humanity of that situation and the lack of humanity, the inhumanity, uh, shall we say, of that situation. You know, it does a very interesting depiction of what it is the soldiers do when they're posted at 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 that prison you know and and 
for long periods of time, for hours and hours and hours at a time, they'll take shifts where all they do is they walk in a circle and each detainee is in a cell. It's not bars, it's a um, door with a small window and a little slot for food or something to be put through. And the soldier will just look in to each window as they walk by and they'll just keep doing this in a circle. And in this film, one of you know there she's prepared ahead of time don't talk to the detainees don't let them know any personal information about you whatsoever they can't even know your name your your surname anything about you don't let them get in your head and of course there's one detainee in particular who doesn't who won't shut up that Kristen Stewart uh, begins to get to know a little bit more and I will say the entire time I was on edge uh, during this film because you really aren't sure if a detainee is trying to get their guard down and get them vulnerable so that way they can like shiv them or something you know or, or do something horrible to the soldier to get free or something and I will say that the film you think you're going to go into one direction and it does go in a complete in a, in a different direction and i think it's um it's a very dramatic and uh moving direction i think it's a very surprising uh film and it's definitely worth seeking out and uh finding on on netflix if all you know of kristen stewart really is twilight you you should really open your mind to her performance in this film and I also recommend her other films with Olivier Assayas, I believe, which is Clouds of Sils Maria and this year's movie Personal Shopper. She's gotten rave reviews for her acting in those films. And I've seen Clouds of Sils Maria. I can vouch for that especially. She's actually the highlight of the film. And when she's not on screen, you kind of are done with the movie. And that that's... That says a lot, because I've seen the Twilight movies, and that was not good. Yeah, it's very difficult for me to actually see her as anything else other than a sort of flimsy teenage, mm. selfish, self-centered, right. horny... Everything Bella yeah. Swan is, which I hated. Yeah. But, so you would be a really good example of someone who should actually consider checking this movie out, Camp X-Ray, and her other film, her more recent films. Because a lot of people are in the film circles now are even saying that she's one of the best actresses of today. That so, I'm having a hard time hearing. Which, you know, that, again, if all you know is Twilight, that of course you would. Why wouldn't you? I highly recommend uh, checking out Camp X-Ray. That's available on Netflix. I think, for my part, that was pretty much it on my own. We had a couple movies, though, that uh, we watched together that I would like to talk about in our Week in Review. First of all, we went through and watched as much of Mira Nair's uh, filmography as possible recently. I want to talk about her most recent work, starting with 2013's The Reluctant Fundamentalist, which is based on a novel that Mira Nair snatched up the rights to before he even went to print. And it's basically about a Pakistani-American's uh, experience going, working his way up the corporate ladder pre-9-11, and then 
his experiences after those terrorist attacks and how how society started to look at him differently and how that led him to look at the United States differently. It's a very intriguing drama, I feel like, particularly that aspect of the story where it's going through his experiences. It stars, by the way, Riz Ahmed, which people may know from Rogue One, a Star Wars story. He was one of the main characters in that. It also stars Liev Schreiber and Kate Hudson in one of her better performances. If you watch Mira Nair's films, you'll see The Reluctant Fundamentalist is definitely a more polished film. She's definitely grown quite a bit as a filmmaker, and it's her first movie of this kind that she's ever made. What do you uh, mean, this kind? Well, you know, it's... I guess what I'm referring to is the other aspect of the movie, which tries to be a political thriller, which is the these scenes where Riz Ahmed, his character is being interviewed by Liev Schreiber, who is uh, supposedly a journalist interviewing him. The film bounces in between those scenes, which take place supposedly in the present, and the past scenes telling his uh, his character's story. The main chunk of the movie is really more of a drama, right? Mm. And the other aspect is more of a political thriller. And and Mira Nair hasn't really ever made a movie uh, like that. And also on top of that, the the voice in this movie. I mean, this is really kind of looking at a national tragedy from a very particular lens, very particular perspective that you don't see very often. You know, you don't see it all, really, in in film. And so that's kind of what I I mean, you know? Yeah, I think it's a really good film about a really good topic. I really think she did a great job of showing content of 9-11 and the different cultures involved in that huge event that affected really the world. And she does a really good job showing multicultural experiences yeah i mean usually regarding that event we see essentially the uh white americans perspective and this is definitely not that and so that's that's really interesting i do have a couple criticisms of the movie i think a it's a really good example of trying to adapt the book too much and so it, it feels like too much a little bit and maybe a little bit too long, particularly when it's trying to maintain the scenes with the journalist and, and uh, the main character. The pl- it really makes the film unsure of if it wants to be this a drama or if it wants to be a political thriller. And I, I really found the political thriller side far less compelling and interesting than the drama aspect of the the story i found so i found like it's definitely a worthwhile film especially since it didn't get uh, much visibility so definitely check that out it's on netflix to stream right now the reluctant fundamentalist and then we also watched her most recent film queen of katwe right which is a Disney film that came out at near the end of 2016, last year. And, oh, and it's available to stream on Netflix. 
This is a uh, film about a teenage chess prodigy in Uganda who basically gets to go into chess championships and tournaments uh, in Africa, you know. And I guess she became one of the, the top chess players in the world. I think it's also important to say that she was coming from an, a, a very impoverished area. Yeah, I was going to get to that. I think th that's one of the things about the movie that's really impressive, especially as a Disney movie. First of all, it is not your conventional, generic, vanilla, Fairy inspirational tale. Disney film. You know, it's like so many that Disney has produced in the in the, in the past. It's really grounded and very authentic in its its culture that it's depicting, the life experiences that it's depicting. Uh, that being this family in Uganda who are not not well off and they they are doing whatever they can just to be able to afford a roof over their head which by the way in in this context is about the sh size of a shed and there are no floors the floors are dirt right yeah there's not very much happening i don't know if a lot of people have ever been exposed to this kind of living environment in uh people from america you mean well in general oh mm. well Lupita Nyong'o, uh, who many people will know. I love her. She has a great Instagram account, by the way, too. Yeah, many people will know her from 12 Years a Slave, which was her, her breakout role. Well, and also Star Wars The Force Awakens. Yeah, you but won't you, see her. But. Yeah, people won't necessarily know her as well. She's uh, She plays the mother in this film, and... You know, she's from Nigeria originally, and I really feel like she was able to draw from her experiences rather well and with her mannerisms and her ways of speaking. It's re quite remarkable. It's not something you'd see in a typical Disney movie. Well, yeah, they really nail the mannerisms of people from the African continent. It's very different mannerisms. I mean, I think it's really important to hit the mannerisms that make up a country and they did a really good job with that it's very distinct uh, and so the performances are really impressive and also what i liked about the movie was in the end you got to see the real person that the that the actors are playing standing next to the actors with a text about what happened with those people uh after the story ends in the movie and that was really kind of cool. Yes, Queen of Katwe. Oh, and also very interesting. I find very peculiar. You know, Queen of Katwe is a Disney movie, yet I think it was kind of a blip of a release. I don't think most people even were aware that it came out. It didn't do all that well. I'm not sure that it even quite hit its budget. Well, look, I mean, the advertising was completely different to something like Frozen. Um, well, you, you, or even any of its live-action movies, Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm or, or any of uh, The Rookie with Dennis Quaid. I don't know. Maybe Disney just isn't known for their live-action. But no, then you well, have something like Avengers. Okay, whoa, 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 hold on. We're going all over the place because 
Avengers is a completely different thing that was acquired by Disney later on. Disney is known really well for its history with live action films. And a lot of them have been promoted really well. But what I was going to say is you have Queen of Katwe, which is focused on another culture and people of color who aren't necessarily huge name stars, except for Lupita, who I think is on the poster. Then you have The Reluctant Fundamentalist, which is also about someone of of color, right? That movie only made a half a million dollars in the United States. Nobody knew that it even existed. I mean, did you know that, that... Had you even heard of that movie before we watched it? I had no idea. I feel like maybe there's this... No, I mean, I feel like there's this huge gap in marketing of films that are of a combination of cultures or even just one culture or something that doesn't happen in America. Yeah, I think it's worth asking because even another movie that we talked about in the in a previous episode, The Good Lie, which was also primarily about people of color from another country. That was a fantastic we, film. Yeah, it was it was a really good movie, but we didn't know that it existed. We stumbled across it, you yeah, know. Yeah, we saw people watching it on the plane. Right, so it's really odd, you know, you have these three examples, and I'm sure there's more, where studios, you know, they they actually put their money behind these movies, but not any marketing money. So you'd think they would want these movies to at least break even, and that's definitely not the result. Is it uh, like sabotage? Movies. Like, oh, we don't want to do more movies like this, so we're just not even going to put a lot of energy or finances into it? Yeah, I don't know. Or, you know, which comes first, you know, the uh, the notion that people don't want to see movies about people of color or studios don't want to promote movies about people of color. I, I don't know. It's it's definitely odd. So but uh, that's why we are championing these movies. Definitely uh, seek them out now. Before we move on, because we do have to move on really quickly here, I do want to bring up just briefly the movie Split, starring James McAvoy, which is the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie. Now, I have pretty much dismissed Shyamalan as a filmmaker wholesale because he had a string of four or five really bad movies. I would argue his last good movie was 2002's Signs. Oh, that was fun. See? And even then, it wasn't it wasn't great. But Split, I would say, is probably 2017's biggest surprise so far. Now, I recommend go into this movie cold. Because if you Google the movie at all at this point... You're going to be uh, seriously spoiled by its huge twist. And it does have a very last second twist that forces you to rethink the entire movie in a very unusual way that we've never seen before. Uh, But it's very exciting. If you know exactly what it's doing, you will lose your shit. And I unfortunately had this experience taken from me because it was spoiled for me what the twist was and when it happened as what as i was watching the movie 
I could see there was an experience that I was missing, that I wish I had. It was still exciting and very cool, but it wasn't what it was if it was if I didn't know about it ahead of time. So that's all I will say, um, other than James McAvoy really helps sell this movie. Come watch Charles Xavier inhabit multiple personality disorder. Yeah, so Split. Seek that out. It's not available to stream, but you can rent it online or uh, find it at your DVD dispensary. Okay. With that said, let's move on to our main event. With this episode, since it's Memorial Day weekend, we thought Memorial Day weekend is traditionally the start of the summer movie season. Which runs all the way through the end of August. You know, it starts a month or, yeah, about a month ahead of the actual uh, summer equinox. So, I thought we would go through, and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to list some movies that are opening in wide release and a handful of movies that are opening in limited release. And. We're going to talk about which of those movies we're most excited about. And maybe. Maybe we'll hit on some movies you didn't even know about that was coming that you'll get excited about. So, are you ready, Shanna? I am ready. All right. So, let's start with Memorial Day weekend through June. Here's what we have opening. We have Baywatch, which is an adaptation of the TV show. And and women, very very sexy women too. Very um, big breasts. I I have I'm sure. <laughs> you know that's what needs to be said. All right, all right. Anyway, it stars Dwayne Johnson and Zac Efron. And apparently, no swimmers' shoulders, which makes no damn sense. All right, we're going to just move on. Alrighty. Next, Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Men Tell tell no tales see that say that three times fast the next week we have captain underpants which is an adaptation of the dave pilkey uh children's stories and wonder woman which is the next dc superhero film the much anticipated first heroine film in limited release, we also have a movie called Band-Aid, which is about a couple that turns their fights into songs and forms a band. The following week after that, we have the horror film It Comes at Night. And Shanna Goes Away. And the Tom Cruise uh, blockbuster movie The Mummy. And in limited release, we have Beatrice at Dinner starring Salma Hayek. And John Lithgow. And John Lithgow, which is uh, basically about a dinner where two people of different uh, social and economic experiences uh, kind of clash ideologically. In addition to that, in limited release, is the Sam Elliott film, The Hero, and the Rachel Weisz film, My Cousin Rachel. The following week after that, we have 47 Meters Down, starring Mandy Moore as one of two women who get uh, trapped in a shark cage with sharks uh, circling around them. And I roll my eyes in enormous irritation. Uh-huh. 
And then we have All Eyes on Me, the, bio, the Tupac Shakur biopic, and Pixar's Cars 3, as well as the female-driven Rough Night, starring... Ooh, ladies Night at the Movies! Starring Scarlett Johansson. Then, the following week, we have Transformers 52, also known as Transformers The Last Night. I think it's number five or six. Okay, and in a limited release, we have a movie called The Bad Batch, which is a post-apocalyptic cannibal movie starring Keanu Reeves, Jason Momoa, and Jim Carrey. Oh, wow. From I the... want to watch that. <laughs> or... We have sexy, fun, and steamy. So from the director Anna Lily Amapur, who uh, directed... I believe a girl walks a home alone at night, which was a huge hit. And also, Sofia Coppola returns with *The Beguiled*, starring Nicole Kidman, Elle Fanning, and Colin Farrell. And Kristen Dunst. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure she's in there. Also, unlimited release. Uh, in addition to those two films, is the love story *The Big Sick*. Which stars Ray Romano and Holly Hunter as parents of a uh, young, uh, like twenty-something woman who falls uh, terribly ill, and the Indian American, I believe, who is in love with her. That is from director Michael Showalter, who some people may know from last year's *Hello, My Name Is Doris*, which starred Sally Field. Oh, that was a fun movie. Yeah, it wasn't bad. People should watch that one. June finishes up with uh, Edgar Wright's latest film, Baby Driver, and Amityville The Awakening, Despicable Me 3, and (laughs) the comedy The House, starring Amy Poehler and Will Ferrell. So that's a lot of movies, Shanna. What are the ones that you are most excited about in June uh, Memorial Day weekend through June so far. You know, every time we go through this list, I get more excited and more hopeful that it's going to be a great season. Mm-hmm. But I'm most excited, of course, about Wonder Woman. I've been waiting a long time for a film like that. And I don't think that they're going to disappoint us. I think it's going to be fantastic. And I think it's going to revolutionize all the female superhero and films that we're about to receive. Well, fingers crossed there. I'm also looking forward to Beatrice at dinner. And I'm a huge John Lithgow fan, but mm-hmm. the when I saw the trailer for this, I thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just so great, um, especially for the time that we're living in right now, to see something like this so quickly. Yeah, um, I think it is actually being promoted as the first post, uh, the first movie in trump's america or something like that it's gonna be very interesting to see and i remember talking to you about how that movie about sarah palin Mm -hmm. game change yeah i was i had said to you after that if trump wins i'm very interested to see what the films are gonna depict right because they provide so much insight Mm -hmm. i'm also looking forward to the beguiled Mm. i think think that many interesting things are going to happen in this film (laughs) and i think people are going to lose parts of themselves and 
I, I think it's going to awaken possibly anger in me, possibly satisfaction, possibly revenge. I, hmm. I don't know. But I'm very interested to see how this is all going to unfold. What about you? Well, I was going to ask, are you a big Sofia Coppola fan? I'd say I'm pretty into... What's your favorite? What's your favorite of her movies? So the Bling Ring was hers, right? Yeah, that was her most recent one. That was her most recent one. Hasn't she got another one? Well, she's got several movies before that, but that was her was latest. Was Juno one. hers? No. Oh, that must be wrong. Yeah, that is. Uh, that's duh, uh, duh, 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 Jason duh. Reitman. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed Bling Ring. Yeah. So I am interested in seeing what she's going to have. Mm-hmm. for us yeah she's definitely an interesting filmmaker that's for sure uh for me i think i'm right there with you as far as wonder woman is concerned that is probably my most anticipated movie of the entire summer i i thought wonder woman was the highlight of batman v superman which is otherwise not a recommendable movie just cut to the scene where she is yeah basically uh particularly when she's actually looks like wonder woman the secret investigating thing that she does in that movie is not worth i'm very pumped about about uh that film and then in addition to that i think i'm really looking forward to the bad batch what is that about? I'm very, very curious about this film. I haven't seen Anna Lily Amapur's other film yet. It's not available to stream. I think I just missed it. Uh, but that that cast, Keanu Reeves, oh, yeah. Jason yeah. Momoa, and Jim Carrey Who in a post-apocalyptic right in a post-apocalyptic cannibal Who's film. Be the cannibal. I mean, that's going to go cannibal first. How can you not be intrigued by that? And then. I think in addition to that, 47 meters down really interests me. Ugh, I'm, I'm a, so done with shark movies. Well, there aren't very many good shark movies, right? But I really like The Shallows from last year with Blake Lively. I really think that that was the best shark movie since Jaws. And, you know, all it was, it was, it was a simple movie, simple premise, and it was thrilling. And... If 47 meters down can achieve that, that's all I need. I'm just, I'm really irritated about the idea of the movie. We'll see what happens. Yes, we will see what happens. Let's move on to July. So with July, we have it starting off with wide releases of Spider-Man Homecoming, the latest Spider-Man and latest Marvel movie, War for the Planet of the Apes, Lady Macbeth will be in limited release. It is not based on the play Macbeth, but it does seem to have a character is very much like the Lady Macbeth character in it as the main character. And that's got a lot of good buzz so far. Christopher Nolan's latest movie, Dunkirk, which is a war film, uh, is the following week, along with Girls Trip, which is stars Queen Latifah. I love her. And also, Luc Besson's latest film, Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, a sci-fi epic. And then July ends with Atomic Blonde, uh, starring Charlize Theron as a kick-ass killer. The Emoji Movie, an animated film based on... We're going to learn about the origin of the poop emoji who used to be chocolate ice cream. Right. 
I don't. I I have no idea what's going to happen in this film. Yeah, who? who, It's anyone's guess. It's it's a. It's. I mean, it's emojis from your phone. How can you make? I don't know how they make a story out of it, but whatever. And then lastly, (laughs) it's going to be about how everything used to be yellow, and then finally they added multiple skin tones, (laughs) and the world became brighter and more diverse. (laughs) I. That doesn't even sound like a good idea. Anyway, and then finally. An inconvenient sequel with Al Gore, a sequel to his uh, 2004 documentary, I believe. So, what movies are you looking forward to most in July? I am really looking forward to the Spider-Man Homecoming. At first I was kind of like, no, I'm a Tobey Maguire Mm. fan. Um, In my mind, those were the only ones. But Tom Spider-Man. Holland was really great in Civil War as um, Spider-Man. No, he's great. Yeah. You know, so now we have someone new and exciting portraying Spider-Man. And the way that they're going with it, making him such a kid, not a, oh, he's always trying to be hard to be an adult. No, mm. he's a kid. And he has this kiddiness to him. Well, he's a teenager. Okay, yeah. but that's still a kid. Right. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but when you say kids, it, it really feels like you're talking about like some... 21. <laughs> spy kids or something. 21. <laughs> <laughs> so the poster looks really good. Mm. Um, I, I'm looking forward to this. And anything else from July you're looking forward to? Yes. War of the Planet of the Apes. I'm mm. a huge fan of Andy Circus, as everybody knows from previous films we've discussed. I'm really looking forward to this franchise coming to an end, I believe. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe there's more. I more Andy Circus people. I don't know. I just hope they don't try. They don't lead up to feeling like they have to remake the original Planet of the Apes. I really like the idea. I I really like the idea of them just making these prequels that lead up to the original Planet of the Apes. I'm sure they'll do the right thing, but. He has a Hollywood always does the right thing. <laughs> he has a franchise that does a fantastic job at cinematography, at um, well, the, the visual effects, the visual effects, oh, come on. the the motion capturing. Yeah, I just it's just so amazing. I'm really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, who is the bad guy? The bad Woody Harrelson. Oh my Woody word! Harrelson. It's very hard for me to see him as a bad person. So I really hope that I'm going to be okay with that. Anyway, and then the last one I'm looking forward to is Atomic Blonde, Charlize Theron. You know, she's like this, what, an assassin? Something like that. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's about. I'm a huge fan of Charlize's. Awesome. What about you? Well, I'm right there with you as far as War for the Planet of the Apes and Atomic Blonde are concerned. Absolutely. I I think July is a really solid month, and I think uh, those two movies help make it a really solid month but also third to that is valerian and the city of a thousand planets now i've seen the trailer probably about a half a dozen times and it is absolutely dazzling and gorgeous and the visual effects are amazing it reminds me of luc besson's the fifth element which is now 20 years old if that movie is remotely as good as The Fifth Element, I will God, be pleased. I'd be happy. And I'll be honestly pleasantly surprised, too, because I don't think Luke Besson's made anything really good since The Fifth Element. I was not a fan of his film Lucy from 2014, I think it was. So, yeah, 
I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Uh, let's move on to the last month of the summer, August. So traditionally, August is a little bit of a dump month, and you know, there's been some exceptions over the years lately. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one being one of those exceptions, but I really feel like this year is really not an exception to a dump, mo dump month for the most part, but here's what's coming out. We have, first of all, The Dark Tower, based on the Stephen King series, starring Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. Now that's a great combo of actors. We have then, also the same weekend, Detroit, directed by Catherine Bigelow and starring John Boyega. Uh, as a cop during a an actual riot that and took place in, and you may know John Boyega from either 2011's Attack the Block, if you're really cool, or you might also know him from, of course, Star Wars: The Force Awakens as Finn. Anyway, so that uh, is what kicks off August. Then you have Annabelle 2, Creation, which itself is a spin-off of The Conjuring. And also, talk about counter-programming, The Nut Job 2, Nutty by Nature. Because we need a sequel to that. <laughs> uh, in limited release, we have The Trip to Spain, which is the third film. Uh, in the Steve Coogan and I can't remember his friend's name, but they tour a particular region and all their their foods while also going back and forth sharing impressions of actors which is quite quite funny the following week we have the hitman's bodyguard starring samuel l jackson and ryan reynolds and that pretty much does it for august i think they end the month with a a faith-based movie called all saints uh, that stars who, who stars in All Saints it was someone I was really uh, surprised by before it was John Corbett that's right and it's basically about a salesman turned pastor uh, the tiny church he was ordered to shut down and a group of a uh, group of refugees from South Southeast Asia and how they risk everything to plant seeds for a future that just might save them all, according to IMDb. So, with all that in mind, Shanna, what are you most looking forward to in August? I am not a huge scary movie fan. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a huge Stephen King fan. Uh huh. But I'm really looking forward to The Dark Tower. Okay. I mean, Matthew McConaughey and Edris Alba. Mm -hmm. I mean,. That's gotta be good, right? Such powerful I hope so. actors. Yeah. And then I'm looking forward to Detroit. I've always been curious to know more about Detroit. I used to have these weird nightmares when I was seven, eight, that I was gonna have to move to Detroit. Hmm. Which I know is really weird, but I think at age seven you don't really wanna move. So that was always like a threat my parents had for us. It was so weird. Hmm. Anyway. I'm also looking forward to The Hitman's Bodyguard. I like that actor combination as well. And mm. I mean, if Samuel L. Jackson's going to say motherfucker this, motherfucker that, I'm going to be very satisfied. <laughs> I just, I love it when he swears. What are you looking forward to, my love? Well, 
I'm not looking forward to a lot in that month, but I think at top of that list would be uh, Detroit for me because Catherine Bigelow's made uh, some really, really damn good movies, especially recently with The Hurt Locker and uh, Zero Dark Thirty. I think she's a really good director. Yeah. So and and I also recently featured her as the top direct female director to look into. Um, and so Detroit is very intriguing for me. I've seen the trailer and it looks uh, it looks very promising. Aside from that, you know, I'm I saw the tra the trailer for the Hitman's Bodyguard and that looks like it could be really funny. It looks like uh, it could be a lot of fun. But then again, um so did the trailer for Baywatch and I'm not sure that that's doing uh too good. And I'm kind of interested in the trip to Spain. I've seen the original movie, The Trip. I missed the trip to Italy. But I did find the trip fairly enjoyable, especially when they were doing an impression of Michael Caine. It's a very often, <laughs> often, often pulled clip. You could probably find it on YouTube very easily. So I'd be kind of curious to see what they do in Spain. So... That's about it for me, and that's uh, going to do it for our summer movie preview. What movies are you looking forward to most this summer? Feel free to email us, thegibsonreview at gmail.com. With that, let's move on into our final section of the episode, Film Faves, where we share with you some of our favorite movies regarding a different topic, or a year in film. Hopefully, this not only gives you an idea of what Shanna and I both independently enjoy in movies, but also brings to attention some movies you've never heard of before or have missed. We also try to point you in the direction of where you can find some of these movies. Now, most movies you can uh, find on Amazon to rent or buy. But we try to focus on the streaming services, Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, and HBO Now, and let you know if any of these movies are available there. We also count down our top 12 favorites. Most people do either 5 or 10 with some honorable mentions. We don't do honorable mentions. We do strictly our 12 favorites. So with that in mind, Shanna, would you like to kick us off on our favorite movies of 2013 with your number 12 yeah so this was particularly hard for me to actually come up with my list so we will see what i have i just had a lot of love-hate relationship with the movies that came out that year interesting so my number 12 is available for streaming on netflix it is august osage county mm. and for the longest time i thought it was august orange county <laughs> um so it was very interesting it's a movie about essentially family dysfunction mm. and it takes place around the dinner table well dining table around different meals yeah and it's just always really good to see dysfunctional family movies because it reminds you that if your family's not perfect, it's it's fine. This is actually <laughs> what families are like. This is normal. So I enjoyed that. And of course, Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts were great. Yeah. What yeah, is... Meryl Streep uh, played a very uh, uh, difficult 
very woman. unlikable character. Yeah, yeah. And all these the strained relationships with her adult children was very interesting. See, I was I was surprised how much we enjoyed that movie. My number twelve is the comedy in a world, which in a world. Yeah. Now she's evoking the famous lines that you would hear in movie trailers. And that's what the title of the movie is invoking because it stars Lake Bell, among many other people I'll mention in a minute here, as a voice actor. And she is competing in a movie trailer uh, voiceover profession that other people are, are, are uh, competing with her against. It's a really interesting look at the world of voice acting. It's it's a really clever comedy, and Lake Bell is great in it. I really wish I would see more often uh, her more often, but it also stars uh, Rob Corddry, Alexandra Holden, Eva Eva Longoria. Who is hilarious in it? Yeah, she's really good. She plays herself actually in the movie. Uh, Ken Marino's in it. Dimitri Martin. Also Gina Davis. Gina Davis, but Fred Mullamed, who is actually a voice actor, and some of you may know him from the Coen Brothers movie A Serious Man, in which he was hilarious. He plays here Lake Bell's father. Also, Tig Notaro, Nick Offerman. It's a really great cast, and I think it's a comedy that's been largely overlooked, so I definitely recommend seeking this out. It's also a good depiction of what can sometimes happen to women in a particular work environment. I'm not going to say much about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good commentary. So it is the only movie on my list that is available on a streaming service, and you can find it on Hulu. What is your number 11, Shanna? About Time, which is a romantic... It's also my number 11, that's right. (laughs) It's like a romantic comedy, I guess, where the men in this particular family can time travel and that's kind of your description you do very well with those descriptions but (laughs) i really like it because it's time travel so if you're a time travel fan you know it's great they also you know pay respect to the supposed principles of time travel where if he messes up on a particular time travel incident, it has repercussions. Yes. And he has to go back and fix it. Very serious repercussions. I think that that's very good. It it makes it a serious time travel film. Yeah, but, I mean, let's not mischaracterize. Yeah, it's really... It's it's a love story. It's just respectful of time travel. Yeah. Is what I mean. Yeah, and it's, it's really good. If you're a fan of love, actually, you're probably going to like this movie because it's by the same director, Richard Curtis. So it is very sweet. It is a love story. So there you go. Uh, and it was surprisingly, it was surprisingly good. It's basically what the time traveler's wife is not. Doesn't it feature the same woman? Yeah, Rachel McAdams. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, hmm, isn't this interesting? Two time-traveling films. Right, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I'm right there with you with this movie. I, I definitely highly recommend About Time and checking that out. What is uh, your number 10? My number 10 is Wolf Children. Ah, Wolf Children, Ami, and Yuki, which is my number 10 as well. That's really funny. 
So my brother showed us this film when mm-hmm. we were visiting South Africa. We had no idea it existed. And it's an anime film about a family where the children are half werewolf and half human. And just really great depiction of siblings mm-hmm. and how when before puberty you're kind of really connected as siblings and then when puberty hits one sibling your relationship changes and then by the time that one is out of puberty the next one's in puberty and so it's constantly the relationship is changing and i thought they did a very good job of depicting that so it's a great sibling film yeah i think you pretty much said it it's a beautiful film it's one that hit me like a ton of bricks i really wasn't sure about the movie going into it and it just kind of blew blew me over it's a moving it's a very moving film and it's a really great example and anime does this all the time a really great example how the animation medium is not just for kids it's not it doesn't have to be just song and dance funny movies. Just fairy tales. To, right, to entertain kids. This is a, a, a really strong piece of work here, and it's definitely worth seeking out. I think it's... it's I, I loved it, and I was very, very impressed with this film. So that's that's it says something that it's on both of our lists, I think, uh, in this exact same spot. So... That's Wolf Children, Ami and Yuki. What's your number nine? Don't tell me it's the same as mine. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it is. My number nine is Pacific Rim. Ah, okay. No, it's not. But... And I got to see this in the IMAX with my mom and brother when they were visiting before our wedding. And it was just such a great experience seeing those huge robots and those huge monsters um, doing their thing in the film. I loved that this film had multicultural actors and actresses. You had different ethnicities happening. You had different cultures being shown. Mm-hmm, yeah. Different mannerisms being hit. So that's always a million points for me. Um, it had a, a, cu- a couple of my favorite actors. Actors. So we had Idris Elba and we had... His name escapes me. But Don't tell me it's Charlie Hunnam. It's the man that was in the TV show The Unit, and he has orange hair, and he's the Australian. I have no idea. Film. And I love seeing that man. I think he's great. He's always a military man. He's okay. never anything else. <laughs> so I thought that that was a great film, great cinematography, great colors, a fairly good story. Awesome. Well, my number nine is This is the End, which is the post-apocalyptic... Well, not post. It is the apocalyptic comedy starring Seth Rogen, James Franco, and all of their friends. Even Emma Watson is in it. uh, Right. Forgot about that. That was... um, Yeah. So, this was a lot of fun. It was a hilarious movie. Surprisingly hilarious movie. And it was kind of cool to see, like, all of these actors playing themselves. And when the apocalypse happens, finding out who survives, who doesn't, what for what reason certain people survive. Because there's actually a reason behind it all. It's a very clever movie without being dumb enough to insult your intelligence. 
Uh, it's a lot of fun. This is the end. It is my number nine. What is your number eight film, Shanna? My number eight film is Prisoners. And I believe Hugh Jackman was the dad in this film. Yes. I just love it when I see Hugh Jackman, especially if he's like a father figure. So that was great. Um, what happens is his daughter is kidnapped and it shows the lengths he goes to get his daughter back, which are extremely great lengths. And I'm of the opinion that if a child is kidnapped, if the parent is going to do whatever they can to get the child back, I'm all for the parent. I'm all for supporting the parent. Hmm. As long as they are correct, which in this case he was. I mean, at one point. <laughs> I mean, he had it a little skewed. But you know what? Watch this film. <laughs> it's totally worth it. It's great. You know, especially after this whole Jean Benet film that I watched earlier. I mean, Prisoners is definitely the better way for me to go. Yeah, and that movie was directed by Denis Villeneuve, who uh, went on to direct uh, Sicario and Arrival. God, which, everything makes sense now about that film. It's, which are great films. And I think, I could be wrong, but I believe Johan Johansson also did the score for, for Prisoners, as well as those other two movies. And uh, so, yeah, uh, interesting pick. Awesome. My number eight is Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, so it's not a great movie it's not it doesn't quite live up to the promise of guillermo del toro directing a giant fucking robot versus kaiju movie right but it does definitely deliver in the 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 thrill of seeing giant fucking robots beating kaijus <laughs> you know it does deliver in that front it's hard for me not to kind of love it because of that. Mm. I'm with you on all the points you made about the multiculturalism. You know, there's some room for improvement there. There could have been a little bit more characteriz- or characterization to it. You represented them. Africa, the African <laughs> continent. The African continent, somewhere in there, people do want to help when something extreme happens. Right. You know? And I, uh. I, I wasn't entirely sold on the whole dimension under the sea thing but you know what whatever you got giant fucking robots beating up kaiju you get one you get one honey <laughs> every movie gets one and they pick their one to be under the sea fine fine under the sea <laughs> anyway so yeah it's a lot of fun that's my number eight what's your number seven okay mine is her i loved scarlett johansson's performance in this Jeff has this on his list, so he'll explain what this film is about, but I really feel that there needs to be some sort of award that recognizes voice acting. It is just as important as a physical person being on screen, Hmm. if not more difficult. I guess it's just different muscles being used, different creativity, perhaps. And I just felt like Scarlett Johansson, without her in this film, there'd be nothing. I yeah. mean, if, if you had Suri doing the voice, I just, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Super. And it also does a great job of showing our reliance on technology. So I'll let Jeff talk more about well, that. Well, I, I, I will say before we move on, I will just say that I think you raise an interesting uh, point, you know, and that is a category that could 
always have recognition you know most most often people are going to think of animation films for voice acting but uh her you can even a... start it off as it doesn't have to be best voice actor female best voice actor male. no 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 you just just started out with like normal oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like unisex i wouldn't even go there really it should just be best voice out voice acting and, and uh, yeah, I I'm agree with you. She did a, a fantastic job. We'll, we'll talk more about that movie, I'm we sure. We recognize you, Scarlett. We do. So my number seven is Fast... Well, I'm going to call it Furious 6 because, God damn it, that's what the title card uh, calls it. So the movie must be called Furious 6, despite the marketing. Uh, this is, of course, the sixth film in the Fast and Furious franchise, one of the most enjoyable films of the series uh this if you've watched if you haven't watched fast five i recommend seeing that before you watch furious six because it definitely follows immediately after uh fast five so to speak and it gets a little bit more soap opera-ish. You know, you have a character who was thought dead returns. And the, the team, the family, has to deal with with that. But, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson gets to really step up and have a lot of fun in this movie. I think the weakest part is probably the villain, played by Luke Evans, who's uh, an actor who's never really impressed me that much. But... It has really awesome set pieces. I mean, it's it's everything you'd want in an action movie without completely in, insulting your intelligence, uh, like a lot of action movies these days uh, do. You know, if you're not able to, you, I mean, you just have to be able to go along with the ride, and it never asks you to believe anything too far over the edge. So you know we we. We've had you Too haven't you haven't even seen the movie. Bounce you from haven't one car to another you haven't seen the movie. Way. You haven't seen <laughs> the movie. You can't talk, young lady. You um, so you know we've had a previous episode about Fast and the Furious franchise, so you pretty much know my thoughts on this. But uh, yeah, so you know why I couldn't keep it off my list. It's my number seven favorite movie. My number six is Twelve Years a Slave. So interesting. Tell interesting tell us more about, about that. Go ahead, talk more and tell this us about it. Really was a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. A film about a man who was freed by his, I suppose they call it a master. Um, he was he was given freedom, and then one night he was kidnapped and put back into slavery, and hence twelve years a slave. So really fantastic depiction of that horrific time in history Mm. of white supremacy just white stupid people in general well just racism uh, across the board yeah you know if you're gonna watch this film i do highly recommend it i'm only gonna watch it maybe one more time in my life with my child and then that'll be it for me but Really fantastic performance. Lupita Nyong'o is in this one. We just spoke about her in Queen of Kwatwe. This was kind of her breakout role. Her breakout role. And the way they depict slavery, the way they depict what slaves not only went through, but what they witnessed 
is just absolutely unbelievable to me. It makes me very angry and wonder why humanity keeps fucking up in this way, i.e. apartheid in South Africa. You have to have tissues ready. You have to have your counselor back up. (laughs) Some sort of rejuvenation of yourself needs to be prepared. I enjoyed watching Lupita's performance, Mm. most of all. Enjoyed is an interesting choice of words. Well, my God, it could not have been easy to put yourself into that emotional state. No. Into that physical state, whatever an actress goes through to get to that point. Sure, sure. So that is my number six. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm i impressed to see it on your list of uh, favorites. I, I think it is the, the best film of that year, but it's definitely... I wouldn't blame anyone by characterizing it as a one-timer because uh, it is a it is an experience that's for sure and not of the popcorn variety i highly recommend it for a one time but i only recommend it once yeah all right so my number six is iron man three which i feel is the best iron man film i know a lot of people mm-hmm. hold the the first one in high regard and they have good reason to it's a really it was a really solid film, and it starts the whole Marvel series off. But, you know, as good as that movie is, yeah, I feel like it, the, it suffers from the third act kind of cartoonish villain ending just a little bit. And that is not the case at all with this movie. You get one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not the case with this movie. In mm-hmm. fact, they connected. they completely avoided that because the man they basically took a villain named the Mandarin, which is uh, Iron Man's arch nemesis, a character who was not politically correct, and many writers have tried to do interesting things with him, but it would still not translate well onto the screen today. And they managed to do something very interesting, far more interesting with the character than a traditional good guy versus bad guy uh, fight. So I think that's really awesome. It also deals directly with uh, what happened at the end of the Avengers film. So Tony Stark has a little bit of PTSD, which is also really interesting. And it also, Shane Black directed this, by the way. I forgot about that. He uh, who wrote Lethal Weapon films, The Predator. You know, so he's a brilliant, brilliant uh, film screenwriter and, and director, too. And what does he do? He strips Iron Man of his... Of his Iron Manness, you know, and it's just Tony Stark. There's a word for that. It's called ego. No, no, no. Well, of his armor, you know, of his power, essentially, you know. And then you have uh, Don Cheadle come in, and you have the buddy cop aspect in the third act. I love Don Cheadle. I I think he did a great job. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a solid film. I think it's one of the best Marvel movies, and it's my number six. What's your number five? Gravity, with Sandra Bullock, who suffers from the loss of a child. And I say suffer because I think that's all you have when Mm. you lose a child, in whatever shape or form. 
And it looks like she's a fairly intelligent scientist. The reason I say it like that is because they don't make that a huge thing in the film. But she's in space, something happens, she escaped the Earth to get away from this trauma, and she needs to get back to the Earth in order to live. Mm. And it was a very good thrill in space, and we got to watch this at the IMAX, and I have to tell you guys... Jeff was speechless for about an hour after the film, which never happens. So it was very interesting. It was the first time I got to witness that. And watching it in the IMAX, you know, usually I'm irritated with Jeff saying, like, oh, we'll never watch Life of Pi again because it's a 3D film. Well, the same goes for Gravity. And I'm usually cool with watching 3D films on our TV but I do feel the same way as Jeff with this particular film. I do feel like this is an IMAX-only film. So really good. I enjoy Sandra Bullock. I miss her. I wish she was in more stuff. Hmm. What is your number five? My number five is Enough Said by Nicole Holof Center, starring Julia Louis-Dreyfus and awesome. James Gandolfini. I feel like this is... Nicole Hall of Center's best film. It's also her last film so far. Uh, it's also one of James Gandolfini's last uh, films. He, I believe it was released just months after he he passed away. And I think it's one of his best performances. It's basically, you know, it, it's a romantic comedy, you know, of sorts of about people of a certain age. And kind of for people of a certain age, I, I believe it's a it's you know a mature romantic comedy that sets it apart. But also, it's it's about people kind of starting over in a way and finding love at a particular place in their lives. And Julia Louis Dreyfus does is uh, offers a really great performance. I think she's sorely missed in in film i don't think she's uh she's taken enough film work not that i would take away from her tv work at all because she's uh she's oh, amazing God, she's but so good. And i think she likes tv yeah yeah I, I agree but she's she's great in this film really the whole cast Catherine keener which is kind of a a staple of nicole hollow center's uh films she stars in the film as well I think it's one of the best romantic comedies of this decade, and it's one of my favorites of that year. What's your number four? My number four is Iron Man 3. Hmm. And my favorite part is how they get rid of his ego. My favorite line is, because we're connected. And I really enjoyed what they did to... Well, to, 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 to put that in context, you're, you're referencing a line he gives flippantly to a kid. The kid is just totally in love with Iron Man. Right. And gets to interact with him over a period of a few days and gets right. to know him. Yeah. And he says something about how they're connected and he really means it in a genuine way. But of course, Tony Stark can't feel emotions and can't show that he feels emotions. So he says, because we're connected in a very mocking way. Yeah, it makes more sense when you see the scene. But And anyway. I just feel like by the end of the film, because of the PTSD, because of the, the falling away of armor, mm-hmm. because of other various things that happen in the film, I feel like his, he's a different person. Mm-hmm. And I actually like that 
he's a different person. Mm -hmm. Because if he was just going to be the same stuck-up Tony Stark, Iron Man, I would not be interested in seeing Iron Man ever again. Right, yeah. He's definitely reaching a certain point in his his character development here. Yeah, I like the character development. Um, And, you know, superhero movies, always a favorite. (laughs) What is your number four? My number four is another love story before midnight i'm not going to tell you much about this movie except that it is by richard linklater Mm -hmm. it stars ethan hawk and julie delpy and it's the third film in a so far a trilogy starting with before sunrise and before sunset after that each movie is released nine years after its predecessor can you list them in order one more time before sunrise before sunset and before midnight thank you so this is a really great series to go in cold and you but you really want to start from the beginning if you've never seen these films uh before start from the beginning i think it's really interesting watching each of these movies in different phases of my own life growing up you know i I experienced before sunset uh, or before sunrise a different way in my 20s than I do in my 30s and so on and so forth. And before midnight's probably uh, the most mature in, in some ways of the series. Uh, yeah, I'll just say I love this series. I hope to get the Criterion collection hint, of hint. them. And so, yeah, it's my number four. What's your number three? My number three is Mandela, A Long Walk to Freedom. Right. This movie is really near and dear to me. It is available for streaming on Netflix. And there is also another film related to it. It turns out that the person playing Mandela is Idris Alba. And he lost his father while going through discovering what music had to be part of the film and they turned this into a documentary so if you go ahead and search Mandela Long A Long Walk to Freedom on Netflix you're also going to find this particular documentary I'm talking about and I'm going to check that out later but this movie really did a fantastic job at depicting not only what was going on in the country during apartheid in South Africa, just in case you were confused, but also what Mandela was like, what Nelson Mandela was like. You know, he was a man after all. He had desires, he had wants, he had needs, and he wanted to be a happy father, a happy husband. And I think they did a really great job of showing those essentially two parts of his life and they touched a lot of good beats in depicting apartheid there's a lot of incidents that happened in south africa that my father would tell me about and you got to see all of it in this film there was a lot in this film and there's a lot that jeff didn't know about and would just right. see me falling apart because I knew it was I knew what was coming. And I mean, there's pretty horrific things that happen. There's the 16th of July, now named Youth Day, where the students were done. 
they were not going to stand for being only taught in Afrikaans when their native tongue was Xhosa or Zulu or Sutu and they marched and things got bad and students ranging from third grade all the way to 12th grade were shot and killed. That is how detail oriented this film was. Um, and there's lots of other things that happen, but in the interest of saving time, I'm going to move on. So what was your number three? My number three is Man of Steel, which is... Very surprising. I don't know if you're being sarcastic or not, but obviously it's a well-known movie. It's Superman by Zack Snyder. So I'm not going to say a lot about it, but I will say it's it. I'm a huge proponent of this movie and i really enjoyed the cast in the film i think it has some of the best superman action we have ever seen on film the visual effects were really beautiful yeah not only that but hans zimmer's score in the film is i i just love it i think it really helps drive the scenes forward and it's a very memorable score so I will defend Man of Steel. I even think there's an argument to be made about what happens with the villain in the end. And I do have one criticism of of the film in that there is a scene that is very similar to a scene, a fight scene in Superman 2 in a city. And the thing is, in Superman 2 people just innocent civilians are in peril and superman very clearly doesn't want them to be harmed he sends very very simply something like zod the people you know and he tries to tries to lead zod away from the city and you don't see that at all happen in this movie and i think that's the one like, it could have been an ADR line. I don't care. It could have been just one simple line or something. Just something. Just solve that one problem. But whatever. It does not at all in any way ruin the movie for me. And it's up there with the best of Superman films. I know that's I know that's uh, controversial to say, but I would say that. What is your second favorite film? My number two is Touchy Feely by <clears throat> one of my quickly becoming favorite directors. Lynn Shelton. Yeah, this was a recent discovery of ours. And we also found it at Half Price Books today for $1.50. It was so <laughs> damn exciting. This is a great film. Anything that shows the Seattle city, for me, is like city porn in a film. I'm always jumping on a film that takes place in Seattle. Because Seattle, to me, was my first home away from home. She always does such a great job at depicting the beauty of Seattle. Well, she's usually really subtle about it. This, I would yes. say, is a little bit of an exception, but usually... Well, I thought she did well. Well, you haven't seen her other movies, for the most part, where well, where she doesn't, like, she's not really as obvious about the Seattle-ness of it. And, and when she's when she's that subtle, I would agree with what you're saying, where she's, you know, there's a beauty to it. Well, it's not like she got in the face of Starbucks, you know. No, but there's, you know, there's shots that are very clearly Seattle. I enjoyed it. Yeah. I totally enjoyed it. Now, this is a film, a Seattle aside, this is a film about a very healing massage therapist mm-hmm. who 
can't move past something that she needs to address in her life, a challenge, shall we say. And she, because she has this energetic blockage, because she has this challenge blockage happening in her life, she is suddenly unable to heal or even touch her patients. Now, her brother is the complete opposite, totally closed off to alternative ways of healing, totally closed off to things such as Reiki or crystal therapy, and is not interested at all, very set in his own way. So the complete opposite of his sister. And he is a dentist, so it's just so terrible. The contrast is fantastic, though. And when she loses essentially her ability to heal others, he gains an ability to heal others. And I thought it was a really fantastic idea. I think all dentists should go for some Reiki training. I think it can only benefit everybody concerned. And I really enjoyed how eventually they come to a seeing each other's seeing each other eye to eye. It's a really nice sibling film, again. Yeah, yeah. It's a great sibling film. So that is my number two. We rented that one, and then we purchased it today. So what is your number two, lovey? Well, my second favorite film is Her, directed by Spike Jones, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson. This is a love story with a slightly sci-fi aspect to it and you know you can't really undersell the significance of scarlett johansson's performance in this film you know it just for those who don't know joaquin phoenix plays a guy who uh who is still trying to get over a a serious breakup and so he's he's kind of alone and lonely and he gets a new operating system and this particular operating system not only is it specifically catered to your personality and needs, but it's actually able to go across platforms. So it's, it goes across your computer, your phones, what have you. But it, it begins to have a personality that is so strong and so tangible, you would swear the character was a person. And you care about this this character as much as you would a person. And what happens between the, the two leads, between Joaquin and um, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, it's a beautiful movie that essentially can be summed up just being, you know, love is love, you know. And that was really significant at the time that the movie came out when people really need to understand love is love it doesn't matter who you love you're looking at me puzzled but you have to remember in the context that there is a lot of issues with gay marriage um around that time this um, was in 2013 yeah 2013 so mm. uh it's a beautiful film i think it's one of the best films of the decade uh so far and uh gay marriage became federal law Mm, I'd have to look at the dates oh, there. Okay. I think it's before. But anyway, so it's my second favorite movie of 2013. What is your favorite? My ultimate favorite of that year is Wolf of Wall Street. This is just freaking insanity. It's hilarious. Yeah, it Leonardo DiCaprio starts off as this really meek, mild person. 
And then well, he's he a be- good person. <laughs> well, yeah, with morals and ethics. <laughs> okay, but it's it does a good job of showing the coming mm. away from that. Don't. You're like show what, show what, Shanna. Um, <sighs> he gets into cocaine. For God's sake. <laughs> lots and lots of cocaine. It's a lot of cocaine, actually. Scarface would, would you shy away from this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he go, transforms from this meek, mild person to this self-assured, confident salesman of stock, of the stock market. And, my God, he builds his business, he builds his income, he builds his empire, and... Shanna's taking notes while watching this movie. <laughs> there will be no cocaine um, and other such things. But just the amount of energy you need to have and the amount of confidence you need to have when you are selling something. It's you can't just, oh, would you like to buy my stuff? That that never works. Right. It works like one out of 120 times in a huge span of time overlapping Mm. and you kind of do have to be happy and excited and thrilled because then it's going to rub off on the other person so i feel like that's a really great that little snippet right there is a good depiction and it's based on a true story and you know you you watch this insanity that unfolds the parties they have the caviar that's everywhere the champagne and I guess my favorite character is Leonardo DiCaprio's character's father. This father swears up and down. This father goes from completely calm to swearing like a sailor, you know, in a second. And it really reminds me of my father. So it's really fun for me to watch. I highly recommend it. It used to be available for streaming, but it looks like it's not like a rental but also note that, like, at Best Buy and stuff, it's in the $5 bin. Huh. So, that's my number one. What is yours? Very cool. Mine is Gravity. Just in terms of favorite cinematic experiences of that year, you, you kind of already talked a little bit about this um, already. Not only is it a great example of less is more, it's a very simple story. There isn't a lot of meat on that bone in that sense. It doesn't complicate things. It's literally about a woman who gets separated from her space uh, station and is floating around in space and has to try to figure out how to get home and survive. And the thing is... Yeah, I. it's not like I'm quite verbose after watching a movie or anything. I love hearing myself talk. But there are very few films that are such a strong experience that makes it so I need time to think and process and I can't speak after watching the film. And watching this in IMAX 3D where I'm completely immersed in the gorgeous visual effects in space and everything that happens throughout the film it's it is definitely an extraordinary experience that I'll never uh, get again which is why I've never I probably will never watch it um, ever again because I can't ever recapture that experience in uh, home viewing 
And I think that's that experience is essential to watching the film. Uh, but I do love the film. I think it's it's a it's a quite an achievement by director Alfonso Cuarón. Yeah, it's my favorite uh, movie of 2013. All right, so those are our favorite movies of the year 2013. What are your favorite movies? Go ahead and email us at the Gibson Review at gmail.com. That's going to about do it for this episode of the Movie Lovers. Next episode, we will be reviewing Wonder Woman and counting down our favorite movies of 2012. Until then, you can find me at thegibsonreview.com or email any constructive feedback at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Be kind. You can find me on Facebook at, at The Gibson Review, where you'll find reviews, uh, external links, and more. You can also find me on Flickchart at The Gibson 99 and uh, connect with me there. Shannon, where can people find you on the internet? So you can simply go to my website, www.shannapaxton.com. That's S-H-A-N-N-A-P-A-X-T-O-N. And you'll be able to find me on my various social channels through that website. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So our next episode will be posted in two weeks. Until then, keep loving the movies, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye.